what you're saying sounds like it's solid gold, but uh, it's there's a lot of delay. And um, I think part of that has to do with um, the connection that I have right now. I'm going to take a, I'm just going to try to relocate and get a little bit of a, a better connection here. Sounds good. Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedekes. And now get ready to think. Welcome to the Think Podcast with Joel Sedekes. I'm Joel Sedekes, and I'm joined today by my good friend and pastor, Dan Osborne. Dan and I are going to break down the subject of Holy Week. What is it? Why does it matter? And if you're just joining us, you really didn't miss anything. If you're not just joining us and you've been hanging with us over the last 13, 14 minutes, you have seen one of the most spectacular debacles ever to grace Facebook. And so, (laughs) uh, in the words of Maui, what can I say except you're welcome? Um, Look, you're quarantined, I'm quarantined. We're trying to figure this out. But... Um, I knew that it was um, that we were going to have to talk about some some theological um, topic today, and there's so many different questions swirling around us with regard to this whole coronavirus thing. So earlier today, I sent Dan a bunch of different uh, topics. I said, you know, what do you think about any of these? And one of them was Holy Week. I'm like, you know, what do you what do you think? About it? And, and Dan suggested we do it, and I think that there's a lot of wisdom in that because. Right now, with all of the corona craziness, it we're, we're giving ourselves and you an opportunity to touch base with something that is very not up to the minute. It's not um, hitting all the, the headlines. It's not the latest and greatest news. It is something that goes back to the very roots of Christian history. And that is this idea Holy Week. So, Dan, when we're talking about Holy Week, what do we mean when we say Holy Week? Yeah, I think for most people, what they're thinking of, uh, if they're familiar with the phrase at all, uh, is the the week leading up to Easter Sunday. So you got Palm Sunday that traditionally kicks off Holy Week. Uh, and then depending on the particular Christian tradition you are you know, a part of, you, you may have every day is a... Um, reflecting on a significant moment in the last days, last week of Jesus' earthly ministry, leading up to his crucifixion and then resurrection on, we celebrate on Sunday, Easter Sunday. All right. And uh, what are the big days in Holy Week? Because um, I yeah. know Thursday, Friday, what what are the big days and, and what's their significance? Yeah. So I, I'd say the the big ones that probably most people are familiar with, uh, are Palm Sunday, which is what we just had last Sunday, uh, and then Maundy Thursday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday is some people are familiar with that one, and then Easter Sunday would be the big ones that uh, I think most most folks would uh, be familiar with right now. Okay, and um, so Palm Sunday, we celebrated that last Sunday. Yeah. That, that I think most people are probably familiar with that, but just in case there's someone watching, yeah. what is what is Palm Sunday? Yeah, so Palm Sunday is, that's what we remember Jesus entering into Jerusalem the week before his death. So he comes in, right? you know, he, he basically uh, sends his disciples to get a donkey for him. He rides in 
uh, towards Jerusalem and his followers, depending on which gospel account you're looking at, you know, they'll include his followers and other people, religious leaders are all there. Um, you know, they've got palm branches. They're throwing their cloaks down on the road as he's walking in. It's kind of a, a royal entrance for a civil leader, you know, in, in, uh, in that time period. Okay, so that's Palm Sunday. That's Palm Sunday, yeah. Entry, mm -hmm. and then let's fast forward to Maundy Thursday. What's happening on Thursday? Why is it yeah. important? Yeah. Why do we commemorate that? Yeah, so Thursday, Maundy Thursday is part of a section in, in Scripture, particularly in the Gospel of John, known as the Upper Room Discourse. So this starts off the, the conversation that Jesus has uh, on the, the night he is betrayed. Uh, he has, you know, I mean, it's a long sermon. It takes up, I think, four chapters, three chapters in the Gospel of John, uh, where he is, he's giving like his final instructions to his disciples, very intimate, close setting. Uh, and uh, one of the things that he does there is he washes the disciples' feet. And he gives a commandment to like, this is the way you ought to love one another. In fact, that's what, uh, you know, we call it Maundy Thursday. It's from, from the Latin word. Um, I'm going to butcher my Latin, mandatum. Uh, which is just mandate, right? It's a command yeah. uh, that Jesus gives his disciples to love one another. And I think the particular image he's got in mind is by washing someone else's feet. So, you know, I, I grew up with a foot washing service on Maundy Thursday. You'd go in and you'd, you'd wash each other's feet in the church. In the church. Um, what denomination was that? That was, uh, we were United Methodist that okay. was kind of, bucking the united methodist system as a whole um so at, at that point in time it was very very loosely united methodist gotcha. uh, and certainly not what most people would think of as united methodist today okay so, yeah uh and then you go into good friday uh good friday obviously the um crucifixion remembering the uh, jesus death on a, on a cross holy saturday is kind of the silent day where the gospel accounts don't really have anything recorded about what happens in the day that Jesus is, you know, he's, he's in the day, in the tomb, the full day, full Saturday is what we remember. And it's kind of this silent uh, day. A lot of times it's celebrated with an Easter vigil late at night. Um, so that the first thing you do that on Sunday morning, like into Sunday morning, midnight is you're celebrating Easter already. Uh, so that's that's Holy Holy Saturday, and then obviously Easter Sunday is looking at the resurrection. Yeah. All right, and I think when a lot of people think of Holy Week, uh, just let the records show. All that yelling is not my kids. So um, my my kids are, are super well behaved uh, downstairs. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't know what my kids are doing right now. They're being watched by Grandma right now downstairs. Um, <laughs> But uh, but this is one of the joys of being dads, right? Yeah. yeah. So those are good sounds. We like we like to hear the sounds of kids yeah. running around. And, yeah. Yeah. The children yeah. are listening. So, um, so uh, when we when a lot of people think about like Holy Week and mm -hmm. observing Holy Week, and they might, it's it's very much tied in with sort of the culmination of Lent. Yeah. Kicks off with with Ash, Ash Wednesday. A lot of people hear this and they go, oh, that's Catholic. That's Roman Catholic. I grew up in the Evangelical Free Church. I didn't know what the word Maundy meant. I had no right, clue. Right. When I first heard about Maundy Thursday, 
That sounded like some weird foreign thing to me. So as Protestants, is Holy Week something that we're supposed to care about? Is this something that we're like, um, are we required to observe it? Are we? Do we need to go to church every day of this week? Why as evangelicals or Protestants or you know, just non-Catholics, do we care about Holy Week? Yeah, so I, I think, uh, you know, careful listeners will pick up on a difference of something you just said uh, between something that's Roman Catholic and something that is Catholic. Uh, there's, and I think that's an important distinction because a lot of the Holy Week celebration is actually bigger than just uh, a Roman Catholic tradition, which would be something that, you know, when, when we think of Roman Catholic, we, we've got to think like, Council of what Council of Trent post that um, first Vatican Council, right? That's so what fifteen uh, ish, somewhere around that time. Yeah, so you're talking like from the point of the Counter Reformation and and forth. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I think a lot of the stuff that we we know of today as Roman Catholicism is really taking shape and codified then. But before that, though, you 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 don't really have much else. I mean, you, you have a not completely unified church, but there's not there's not like the Eastern Orthodox yet. Uh, you know, prior to 1100, there's not uh, the Protestants. There's not the the yeah, official Catholic. Yeah. So these things that you know, these Holy Week celebrations actually actually stretch uh, back towards the second and third century. They're, they're very old, uh, and you can even see some of them already taking shape um, in the the earliest in the earliest. Uh, Christian traditions. I think I think Paul is already referencing, you know, some of these kinds of practices very, very early on. Hmm. Okay. And, you know, something that I've always wondered is, do God's people have the right to create our own holidays? Because in the Old Testament, you've got certain biblical holidays. You've got the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, uh, you've got the Feast of Unleavened Bread leading up to Passover. You've got Passover itself. Of course, the Day of Atonement. Uh, you've got, um, uh, you know, yeah, there's, 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 there are holidays, holy days that are mandated by God to be observed. And the question is, well, do all of our holidays have to come from God? Or is there a biblical mandate for there being special days that we set aside that are um, actually created by God's people. In the Old Testament, we're talking about the nation state of Israel, yeah. covenant people of God. In the New Testament era, we're talking about the church. And, you know, two examples of that would be Purim mm -hmm. and Hanukkah. And actually, uh, Purim is reflected in Esther the book of Esther, right? And then uh, Hanukkah is an inter from the intertestamental period between the Old and New Testaments. But Jesus himself celebrated Hanukkah when he went, that was the Feast of Dedication. Yeah. And so so uh, that festival, the Festival of Lights, that was celebrated by Jesus. So there is some biblical warrant, I think, there for God's people creating our own holidays, as long as, and I want to know if you agree with this, as long as we don't make it a religious requirement to observe them. Correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And now, does that apply to Easter as well? You think about Easter and Christmas being the big days of the Christian calendar. Are we required to celebrate Easter? Or are we required to celebrate Christmas? No, not not in the, as the holidays that we think that, think of them today. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't 
consider putting a church member under discipline for refusing to acknowledge Christmas or refusing to acknowledge Easter Sunday. If the, with the caveat that they said, look, look, we were always celebrating uh, Jesus' first advent um, or his, you know, in, in the in, on Christmas, we, we celebrate that as a reality we all live in. Uh, and we always celebrate the resurrection. Um, so, yeah, I, I would totally agree with with what you've just said. Yeah, it's something you were saying earlier. Every Sunday is resurrection. Every Sunday is resurrection Sunday. It, it matters every Sunday, right? And then, you know, the other piece of this, though, Joel, is, you know, you asked, is it required? Should, should we do this? No, I don't think it's required. But I, I mean, I, I, I think we're actually robbing ourselves of an experience with uh, if we intentionally neglect Holy Week. I think there's something very powerful about that. And let, let, me, let me unpack this a little bit because I've been thinking a lot about this recently. Uh, you know, we're getting ready to celebrate Good Friday uh, at Park. And, you know, there's a lot of questions about what does that look like? And, you know, churches all across the country, what, what I am hearing is that, you know, this is an unprecedented Good Friday. That's, and in some sense, it's true, right? Like there's no really record of uh, Christians celebrating Good Friday in the way that we are going to do this right now. But if you kind of put yourself in the position of the, of the first disciples, like in the upper room, this is as close as we could possibly get to what they were actually experiencing. Wow. You, you see what I mean? Like, and the, let's let's broaden this a little bit because a lot of the discussions around uh, things like the Eucharist or communion um, and whether or not we should take them right now. Uh, if you read these, most most of the articles written about this right now are going to focus in on the Gospels and they're going to focus in on First uh, Corinthians eleven. When what we should really be doing is broadening that conversation and going back to Exodus twelve. In the actual Passover, because in the upper room discourse, what is Jesus doing? He's celebrating the Passover. In fact, all right. four Gospels call it the fact that he is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. Right. And so there's something that he is doing that's very normal uh, in a Jewish home at that time. By the way, you should, should note that uh, uh, Jews at that time for the Passover celebration were unified in that they did it together at the same time, but they were intentionally recalled to do it in their own homes, to wow. take this meal in their own homes, hmm. right? They were unified because everybody was doing it at, the, at sundown on the same day. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they're having this Passover meal. They don't know what's gonna happen, but Jesus does some pretty predictable things. He gets up and, and starts teaching. That's what would have happened in a Passover meal. That's that's still what happens today that's, when right? we go over to my in-laws and we celebrate Passover. It's it's from a messianic standpoint, but yeah. the the you know the father of the home, yeah, um, my wife's father, you know, he'll open up the Haggadah and, and different people will read different portions of it, yeah. but he guides us through the service much yeah. in the same way Jesus would have done. But that is such an interesting point what you just mentioned. The 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 Passover was celebrated in. The home, and the home. and as we take the Lord's Supper, Communion, the Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, that comes from. It's not, it's not identical to Passover, but it certainly is a continuation of Passover. Yeah, 
It's a yep. fulfillment of Passover in many ways. Right, right. So what, what the disciples would not have expected is for Jesus to say, essentially, I am the true Passover lamb. And that, that's what happens next, is he is led, you know, that they reflect, like Peter reflects on this later and says, he's, he's the lamb to the slaughter in First Peter, Peter 2, right? Um, and so he, he is embodying the, the true Passover. Um, but this, this, that upper room discourse is kicked off in the privacy of a home mm-hmm. where the, the, his, you know, Jesus family, his disciples are gathered together and then they move into Holy Week. That is exactly what we've been doing this week. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. what, in what better way could we possibly parallel, uh, what, what was actually happening the very first Good Friday leading into that? And so I, I think for me, pastorally, and, you know, what I hope, you know, uh, the congregation at Forest Glen is, is seeing and, you know, at, at, at Park is that we're, we're now, this is not like an odd thing. It's odd because we've never done this before, but this isn't the first time this, this has happened. Mm. Um, and so we were able to experience this in a very fresh way uh, and, you know, go into things like the Maundy Thursday uh, mentality where we're, we are commanded to love one another and, and serve one another. What a picture for a husband to sit down tomorrow night and wash his wife's feet. Hmm. To say, this, this is what Jesus done for me. This is how I'm choosing to love you. So as we, as we think about uh, Maundy Thursday, and which is when the Last Supper was, which is where we get communion from, is it legitimate, Dan? Because you're going to get a... De- depending on maybe who hears this, you could potentially get a lot of pushback on this. Do you yeah. think it is a legitimate thing for a, a family in the home to take communion and and in what needs to be, I guess, how, how should that be done? What maybe what precautions should we put in place? Is that legitimate? Because that's a very different thing than, than the folks who say, no, it, it has to be the gathered congregation maybe not in a church building, but certainly on Sunday morning yeah. worship. So are they both equally legitimate? Is one more legitimate? What is, what would, how would Jesus answer that question? Uh, I hesitate to put words in his mouth. Um, I think, I think, uh, so how, how I've processed this. And, and by the way, tomorrow I have a conversation set aside with Phil Adams and Trevor Lovell to talk about, communion during the quarantine. And I, th- I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation. But um, uh, I think you have to you have to keep in mind that, that Paul comes back later and kind of you, you have to assume that believers have been practicing communion, the, the, you know, taking the the past in some sense, this abbreviated Passover meal together, reflecting it because Paul comes in and corrects how they've been doing it. Right. Right. right, right. The assumption is they've, they've been doing it already. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gives some instructions. And again, like his point that, that he is driving in is that th- there is a unity that needs to happen in this. This is something you do when the church gathers together. So what I don't think is legitimate is that, you know, a family just decides one day we're going to sit down and, do communion together as a family okay because that misses the uh, the unity piece like even going Uh, back to exodus 12 the point is they're doing it together 
they're doing it at the same time at sundown. And there, there's even, you know, uh, regulations about what happens if somebody does it wrong. They're supposed mm -hmm. to be put out from the, the congregation of Israel. They don't, right. they don't do this right, which mirrors some of the things that Paul says. Like there's, there's consequences for not practicing the Lord's Supper in the right way. But he comes on in 1 Corinthians 11 to say, this is why some of you are weak uh, and sick and that some of you have even died because you've, not, you've, you've been mishandling the Lord's Supper. Right. You've been, you haven't been discerning the body, the, the body of Christ, the body and the body right. of the church as well. The right. unity right. is missing. Right. So I, I, I think we should always strive for that unifying peace which in my mind weeds out a family deciding to do this by themselves or a, or, small, group. Or a small group or yeah, no, I think that weeds out a small group deciding mm -hmm. to do this by themselves unless the church has said on this night, mm -hmm. we are going to gather in our homes and celebrate the Lord's supper together at the same time, uh, at the same hour on the same day. Okay. Let me push back on that for a second because yeah. in Acts two forty two. All the believers were, they would meet in the temple yep. and then they would meet in each other's homes and they would break bread. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, yeah. fellowship. And many have used that passage as a justification for small groups. They say, look, you've got the large, I've used it myself. You've got the large corporate greeting, uh, corporate meeting, then you've got the in-home meetings. And and that passage, if that's if that's a small group, what are they doing? They're breaking bread which many have seen as a, a euphemism isn't the right word, but sort of a, a shorthand way of saying they're taking communion. Yeah. There was a love feast. There was a meal associated with that. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? I just think it's a stretch to like, it's very anachronistic to look back and say, or that's, that's taking our modern conception of what small group community is and then trying to read it back into the text. I whoa, don't whoa, whoa. think that's what happened. Are you it saying that they didn't use Lifeway Bible studies? <laughs> uh, they didn't. That's and they didn't have the little prepackaged uh, communion cups. Come on, man! They had all the same stuff. Yeah, let's 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 go one step further. They didn't even have a New Testament then. Ooh, now you're going too far, Dan. Now you're going too far. Um, well, they had they had hey they had the apostles' teaching though. They did have the apostles' teaching. But yeah, no, it wasn't codified. They didn't have First Corinthians. Corinthians yet, not for a while. First Corinthians. Yeah, well, true. They definitely didn't have any of the epistles, the I mean, pastoral epistles. Yeah, it would be years and years before they yeah. had it. Yeah. That, that's beside the point. It's a little yeah. confusing. So what I'm saying is I don't think that – to look back at Acts 2.42 and say that's why you should do small groups, I think misses the point. I think you can look back at Acts 2.42 and say that's why, like, that's why you need to be in community as a Christian. Like it's baked into the model of what it means to be a follower of Christ is to – to be gathering with other Christians. But even then, it, it doesn't say they did this uh, for an hour and a half to two hours once a week. This is day by day they're doing these things. So I think it's much more holistic and maybe even too simplistic to say, this is small groups taking communion together. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm gonna try to summarize what you just said and put it up as, as a comment here. The family, in home celebrating the lord's supper whenever isn't legitimate in terms of being communion so. but the church all together at home celebrating in their homes at the same time that is legitimate that that at least could be yeah. legitimate yeah there's well, a congregational aspect to it yeah because the point of communion is that this is something you're doing together hmm. so if you don't do it together it's not communion look look if you want to celebrate the lord's death 
uh, and have a thankfulness over the gospel? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is that not what we do every time we sit down before a meal and thank God for his provision and thank him for his goodness and kindness to us? I mean, in 1 Corinthians 10, he ends that chapter right before he gets into the communion section. He talks about whether you eat or drink, you do all of this to the glory of Christ. Yes. So, so when you're sitting down to have a meal, uh, parents, families, that is an opportunity for you every time to instruct your kids in, in, in how to have a thankfulness to the, to the gospel of God's provision for you. I mean, I don't know, but, but that doesn't mean it's, you know, you're doing this in the same way with everybody, uh, you know, with the rest of the church. Does that, does that make any sense? It's, I, I, it, I really think it does. And I got to tell you, it's very interesting to me because it's something that I've been perplexed about myself. You know, how do we celebrate communion? How do we do the Lord's Supper when we're separate like this? And I, I just think you're, I, I, Dan, I don't know if I'm 100% sold right now, but I I think I'm most of the way there. It's just, we're, we're in this unique situation right now. Right. As as right. we record this for someone watching later or listening later, as we record this, there's this lockdown. Illinois was one of the first states to really encourage the right. lockdown. Right. And so we haven't met. How many Sundays? We, have we missed three Sundays now? The 15th, the 29th, and the 7th. Yeah. So, and now um, now on the 12th. Oh, the four Sundays, 15th, the 22nd, the 29th, and the 5th. Sorry. Yeah. The 5th. That's right. That's yeah. right. And so now on the 12th, Easter Sunday will be our fifth fifth Sunday, fifth Sunday which is which is incredible and it's like man how do we how do yeah. we take communion how do we have the lord's supper here especially on holy week when we remember the last supper that's where the lord's supper comes from yeah and so you're you're i think you're giving us a lot to think about here i think yeah. this is really this is good and i think it's important because you you mentioned earlier if if we get this wrong if we neglect the celebration and the remembrance this week, we're actually robbing ourselves of an important experience. Yeah, yeah. And so what you're what you're what you're doing here is you're showing us well how do we not only keep from robbing ourselves, but how do we make sure that we, you know, we give ourselves this or allow ourselves to receive this gift, but do it in a in a way that's biblical rather yeah. than just haphazard. Yeah. But let me summarize my point yeah. in, in this way, Joel. There's two significant two significant events that we're looking at. We're looking at the Passover mm -hmm. on the one hand, and then the true and better Passover, one being Exodus 12 yep. and the lamb, and you know the other being Good Friday, Jesus crucified on a cross. The lamb who was slain yeah. for the sins of the world, yeah. These are both, and they're, they're connected to Passover. But like the, you know, Peter will look back and connect this and use very similar language in First Peter 2 to Passover language. Right. And the, the bridge there is Isaiah 53. Uh, but both of those significant moments are celebrated by a meal. So in the same way that the, uh, you know, Passover corresponds to the crucifixion. So the remembrance of the Passover meal in Exodus 12 corresponds to the Lord's Supper. That's that's what I'm saying. That's how I'm thinking of it. And so the, the conclusion I'm drawing with from that is that in this season, it is permissible, I believe, for people to take, to receive communion in their homes while we're doing it on the same day at the roughly the same time. Um, 
And uh, I want to respond to something really quick that that your parents, I don't know if it's your mom or dad, but someone commented on Facebook and said, and uh, she said, I'm assuming it's your mom. It could be your yeah. dad. No, holy, my mom. Okay. Holy days of obligation is is the phrase that she put up there. And that's from her Roman Catholic upbringing. But what you're saying is it's not a day of obligation in the same sense that that the Roman Catholic Church might teach, correct? Right, right. It, okay. I would say holy days of formation. Oh, all right. All right. Go with that. What do you mean? I think, you know, this is this is not an original thought, but we're, we are uh, we are formational beings like we, the, the habits we develop for ourselves form the way that we think about the world, uh, how we process, you know, what's going on around us, the rituals that we participate in. This, this is why this is why you, people will get so excited about Christmas and not very excited about Easter because around Christmas, there is so much external happening. You know, you're constantly bombarded by ads. There's all the music, there's all of the, uh, the, the you know, the family Christmas parties, the songs that you sing together. Like it's this whole system that most of us alive today have grown up in. And so you start, you start anticipating it at the very beginning of, you know, once Thanksgiving happens, the formation process of, Christmas time kicks in and you, you, you're extra jolly. Do you, you, you see what I'm trying to say? Like th there is a formation that has happened around that time of the year. You don't have all the songs. You don't have all the gifts in the same way. You don't have all the rhythms around yeah. uh, culturally around Easter. Yeah. Uh, right. So it's no surprise. Most people are more excited about Christmas than they are about Easter. Yeah. But I like Easter. Um, Easter is a lot less stressful than Christmas. Too, it is a lot. Right, right, right. Because but there's so much going on, right? But the, yeah. the Holy Week, what you're doing is you are intentionally fixing your mind. And in the services with other believers, you're creating those, those formational patterns, yeah. right? Of, uh, of love, sacrifice, yeah. uh, triumph, victory. Like you, you are rehearsing the gospel. And That's good. You might not feel it this year, but I guarantee that will have an effect on you over the course of five years, 10 years, 40 years. You know, that's that's something very interesting, too. And you mentioned this in a, a sermon last month. Uh, maybe it was at the end of February, but conforming your mind, um, walking in the spirit and setting your mind on the things of the spirit is a process that does happen little by little. And so it's interesting to think about being formed year by year. I think about my own kids. I've got four kids. Yeah. And, you know, every year as we celebrate Holy Week or, or we celebrate Easter, that's laying another brick in the wall of their formation, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. or, or another brick in the, the path or however you want to phrase it. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's interesting, man. That's cool. So what are we doing um, for, for this, this week? What's your family doing? What are we doing as a church? Yeah. And how 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 can other churches uh, celebrate Holy Week as we celebrate it together and apart? So we are doing a Olive Park is doing the same Good Friday service that will be sent out, and and if um, the, the a church wide email was sent out yesterday about uh, you know when this is happening on Friday. Or Friday at five and seven, and then I've got a follow-up email coming on uh, today and uh, this evening that explains uh, how the communion side will happen, right? Where we will have uh, 
you know, what, what kind of elements can you use in your home? Which is a very interesting question, Joel. What should you use for communion at home in your family? It, like, is there freedom to use marshmallows and chocolate sauce? Or Heaven Hill bourbon? It's, I mean, it's, it's a question. So but we're going to be sending out some instructions on how to do that. What, what to use if you don't have bread and wine or grape juice. Wow. Um, and we're, we're, we're going to do what they did in Exodus 12 and in, uh, uh, in um, Luke uh, uh, 20 mm. with, with the Lord's Supper. We're going to take that together. Very, very cool. Uh, Dan, I know you've got to go. I've got to go. Uh, just really quickly, one of the things that uh, you got copies of, a, of an incredible book called the, uh, the Good of Giving Up by Aaron Damiani, who is an Anglican pastor here in Chicago. Um, you know, he's Anglican, but hey, man, we won't hold that against him, you know? Uh, he can't be non-denominational like us. That's fine. But um, I'm just kidding. My, yeah. my sister and brother-in-law are, are Anglican. I love him dearly. And um, But you you have these five copies. Would you, would you say if someone were around Chicago, if they're around the Northwest side, is that something? How could they get their hands on one of these copies for free? Uh, I would think it would be the first, I don't know, five people who subscribe to the think podcast after this uh that's good but you know don't do that because i actually can't see who's subscribing i can oh, see can't? who leave no i can see who leave um uh five star ratings and reviews okay. that, i'm good with that let's do let's do that and then uh if you're in the chicagoland area uh shoot me a facebook message and we can uh arrange a time for you to pick it up or send it to you some way love it all right. Well, you heard that. Um, we're adding another layer to the book giveaway. Um, also, want to remind you to get connected with the Think Institute by going to thethink.institute. While you're there, you can sign up for the Think Update, which right now is the latest um, uh, concise of our most recent episodes. There's going to be other tips and tools and things to help you explain, share, and defend your faith. Well, we tackled another impossible question. What is the meaning of Holy Week for Christians. Why do I care? And we got on off. We got off on a great um, rabbit trail talking about communion, how we do it in homes. Dan is going to be having another video on that subject tomorrow with some other park pastors. Stay tuned for that. Follow Dan. Um, follow his blog. It's danosbornblog.wordpress.com. Check that out. It's called A Pastor's Blog, and it's uh, it's very very good. He's got some good stuff, good practical updates on there as well. And this is not goodbye. This is just a little stop. This has been a pit stop on your spiritual journey. I sincerely hope that you have heard something practical to put into, put into play, put into practice over the next few days. Stay tuned to the Think Podcast for all the stuff you need so that you never get caught flat-footed when asked to explain the Christian message. Until next time, I hope it made you think. Think.